Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. I believe all of them have something about searching, finding doubt, finding some kind of assurance or inside of your doubt. So that's what I went with, and I didn't go the literary route. (laughs) But I can understand the other choices. They're all great. And it's a doggone impossible task because tomorrow I'll probably have three others. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Mm-hmm. It's another roundtable. Michael Blanchard, who is helping me out doing some editing, sent a tweet out in April saying, what's the best written Bruce Springsteen song? And I got to thinking about that, and so I reached out to former guests all of them that have been published writers, not that you have to be published to be considered a writer. I'm not that big of a snob, but I do think it gave them, they got skins on the wall. And I reached out to a bunch of them and I got a lot of yeses. I'm going to have everyone go around the table, talk a little about themselves, and then we'll talk about the rules. Keith, start us off, please, sir. Hello, I'm Keith Candido. I am a author primarily of science fiction, fantasy, horror, mystery, that sort of stuff. I've written about 60 novels, 100 short stories, about 50 comic books, and more nonfiction than I'm comfortable counting. And I'm also a musician, a percussionist primarily. I was with a band in the 90s called the Don't Quit Your Day Job Players, and I'm currently with a parody band called the Boogie Nights, Nights spelled with a K. And and I have been a fan of Bruce Springsteen roughly since, let's see, how old was I when his first album came out? Since I was very small. <laughs> My parents were also fans. The very first big concert I ever went to was to see Springsteen at the Meadowlands at what was then called the Brendenburn Arena in 1984. And I have been to a lot of Springsteen concerts since then. And uh, and I've also uh, sometimes often incorporate music into my work as well. Anyway, that's me. Very nice. Thank you. And luckily, all of these have been guests on the podcast. So if you enjoy what they're saying, go back and check our best catalog, back catalog. Michael Elliott, how you doing, my friend? Give us your little elevator pitch. Doing great, Jesse. Thank you for uh, inviting me on the uh, podcast this evening. I am an author and music writer. I write for No Depression. I've written for Americana UK, um, Albumism, Pop Matters, and I'm the author of John Hyatt's biography, I Have a Little Faith, the John Hyatt story. 
and lifelong Bruce Springsteen fan as well. Seen him in concert. And I think the first time I ever heard him was on our local rock station in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I'm based. But he it was a spirit in the night. It was the first song I ever heard by him. And I thought it was Van Morrison because it sounded a lot like moon dance. But looking forward to this evening's discussion with everyone. And I look forward to meeting everyone virtually, if nothing else. Yeah, on my Perfectly Good podcast, where Sylvan and I are counting down every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order, there is a discussion on do we say Michael's name more or do we say Bruce's name more? (laughs) And uh, Michael is promised to join us on that, but uh, we quote his book every, every episode. Craig is my most recent guest. So Craig, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, I'm television executive producer and writer. I've written and produced shows for Discovery Channel, the Smithsonian Channel. My work's been seen in any, if a country has a television set, there's a good chance one of my shows has been on it. I've written exactly one book, so I feel a little behind everybody else. But uh, primarily a television writer, primarily in factual and executive producer. But I do think you have the most unique book telling the story of life via baseball caps. It is, I love, yeah, love your book is one of my favorite books this year. All right, Gabriel, you've got a couple of new books coming out. Hey, Jesse, great to be back. I'm Gabriel Bergmoser. I'm representing the Southern Hemisphere today. Um, I, I honestly feel like I'm a little bit lucky here because you all mentioned off air that you're recording at some pretty crazy hours. It's like squarely midday here in Australia. So when I signed up to do this, I was like, oh, I'm going to end up doing this at 3 or 4 a.m. and it is going to suck. But I feel like I've ended up being the luckiest out of everyone. So no early starts or late nights here. But yeah, I guess I'm predominantly a thriller author. So probably my biggest claim to fame is my book, The Hunted, which came out in 2020 with HarperCollins and was a bestseller here in Australia. Or alternatively, my Audible original, The Hitchhiker, which came out last year and spent like a month at number one on Audible, which was absolutely insane. But so those are my two most well-known projects. I've got a couple of new books coming out in the next year, including my first nonfiction book, which is really exciting and mildly terrifying. But yeah, like I've written a range of different things. And I guess the reason I came on this podcast in the first case, which, and this would be my fourth time, I think, Jesse, if memory serves, was that a few years ago, I wrote a play about Bruce Springsteen because I figured I had to channel a very long-standing obsession into something and put together a little play which went on here in Melbourne and we did a radio play version of it and Jesse was kind enough to have me on and let me rant and rave and (laughs) express all of my overwhelming love for this man and his music so I couldn't be more excited to be back. Yeah the play is amazing it is Bruce talking to different people at various stages in his career so it is a series of two-man plays but at different stages in his career and I I thought it was brilliant and uh, I have read a couple of your thrillers and they're terrifying (laughs) so they are not good nighttime reading oh no one is going to come out of this ahead and Jacqueline, not only is a writer, but she's a publisher. So she gets to carry both hats. Jacqueline, tell us a little about yourself. My name is Jacqueline Johnston. 
Um, I'm a number one best-selling author in the self-help genre. I'm originally from Austin, Texas, but I now live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I have loved Mr. Springsteen for probably since the 80s when I was really young. I got pulled up on stage to dance with him. I was, I guess it was nine years ago now. So that's probably like my biggest highlight of my life outside of my work. But yeah, I, I just started my publishing company last year. And I basically combine cognitive behavioral training with the physical laws in, of in physics. So I combine psychology with physics and I teach people to learn how to trust themselves because so many people look to the outside for hope and trust. And I'm there to build up your self-esteem so you can manifest whatever you want in your life. And Bruce was part of that. So <laughs> it's nice to be here. Yes, I was going to mention that, that I think you were the only one that's been on stage with him. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys so much. I really feel we have a nice, diverse uh, background, a lot of different writers from different genres. And so I'll bring it from a different thought. So what I did is I sent an email out and I said, what is your top three best written Springsteen songs. And that's, I left it at that. I did say not your favorite, not your most loved, what you think is the best, but as a writer, what do you think is his three songs you think are the best written? So they've, that was their homework. They're going to, we're going to go around the table. They're going to name it. And then any songs that two or more have chosen to quote the Bible a little bit, that automatically goes to the next round. And then anything that's one-off, we're going to give the, the writer, the suggestion, the guest, a chance to make the case on why that song should make it. I'm going to start with you, Craig, because Craig is the one who sent me his list first. Craig, you want to give your three? Sure. I don't think or the first will surprise anybody. Any uh, the river, background you I, want to give is fine. Yeah. The River is on my list. Highway Patrolman, which I would consider the hamlet of story songs, and Outlaw Pete. Which is what came up with the, are you going to give me a chance to defend my outlier? And I think so, I need to explain that one, but I feel very strongly about the reasons I'm putting it on my list. Absolutely great. All right, Keith, how about you? What are your three choices? Two of them are the same two as Craig. The River and Highway Patrolman are also two of mine. I, And they're also two of my favorites, just because I'm one of the things I particularly like about Springsteen is the same thing I also like about Tom Waits and Mark Knopfler and Paul Simon and Mary Chapin Carpenter and Nancy Griffith, is that they tell stories with their songs. And and those are two particularly good stories. And a third really good story is Lost in the Flood. Oh, nice. Good. That's my weird one. Good. <laughs> All right. 
the fact that I'm from the Bronx has nothing to do with why I chose that one, by the way. All uh, right. But, All right, Michael, how about you? All right, Jesse threw upon an impossible task to us, but so I had to go and consult the Bible here. Ah, uh, <laughs> nice. Um, going through it, I decided I would go with, now I really feel bad now because hearing the other choices are very literary and they love all the songs, of course. I went more for, uh, I'll just tell you, Thunder Road, then I went with Reason to Believe and Brilliant Disguise. And I believe all of them have something about searching, finding doubt, finding some kind of assurance or in, inside of your doubt. So that's what I went with. And I didn't go the literary route, <laughs> but I can understand the other choices. They're all great. And it's a doggone impossible task because tomorrow I'll probably have three others. And yeah, to give a little background, Jacqueline has gone through this before and where we took 256 songs and walked it down to one. And uh, the phrase that was heard the most is, this is so hard. And the song that we picked as number one was the one that I said I thought was the best song, even though it's not my most favorite song i thought it was the best yeah very nice all right gabriel what do you what you got for us okay firstly i'm just gonna say jesse this sucked this was so (laughs) i wouldn't go as far as to say that i had sleepless nights but i had fitful nights about this like i went yeah restless nights nights, very nice restless nights i literally Ah. last night i kept waking up being like oh crap i've got to come up with these songs and I went back and forth on so many different ones and it's difficult because there's so much that I love from from all kinds of different eras of Bruce's music but you're not exactly going to compare like the stuff on Greetings with the stuff on Nebraska or with the stuff on Tunnel of Love they're trying different things they're all well written in their own ways and there's so much I love about the early era like some of the lines in Santa Ana or Thundercrack in my heart's wood she's a carpenter or she who could romance the dumb into talking like who comes up with that stuff it's so good but at the same time it's i don't know if i would say they're the best written songs they're very flashy and poetic and exciting but then but then you think okay well do you go for something like nebraska do you go for a story song something that's narrative driven something that's personal and so i chose three different songs that like like michael i feel like tomorrow i'm going to name three very different ones and yesterday i had three very different ones I was until this morning this close to including both Highway Patrolman and The River, which probably are objectively up there with his best ones. But in the interest of being representative of different eras of Springsteen and different styles of Springsteen, the three I'm going with are Jungle Land, When You're Alone, and Chasing Wild Horses. I, I, worth, I didn't narrow down into my three until about five minutes before this started. I'm not the only one. Then. I'm <laughs> yeah. Which is why uh, it knocked me on my ass when Craig picked two of the same ones I did. Yeah. Chasing Odd Horses, Jungle and what was the third, Gamer? When You're Alone. Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, great. All right. And Jacqueline had said it before. Do you want me to say them? Because you had said, you you hit send and then, okay, I can't think about this anymore. Yeah. I, again, I was trying to be unbiased, 
if I were to be completely selfish, I would have picked Brilliant Disguise, which is what I picked anyway. Yeah. Um, I would have picked The River, which I did pick that one. And I think I would have picked for you on a selfish level, but for the sake of the homework task, I picked Born to Run. <laughs> nice. So Ron Martz, who at the last minute, he has bad internet. Uh, Ron has, has been on the show multiple times and he he laughed that he had a, I love the story that in college he was dating a girl that adored Bruce Springsteen and Stephen King who couldn't stand either one. And now then he says that Stephen King and Bruce Springsteen are his most two things that have influenced him much as a writer. Ron said The River, Downborn, Downbound Train, and Ghost of Tom Joad, which it was nice to see. It It is funny. I don't know if any of you guys got to see this morning, but CBS Morning News had a segment with Bruce talking about Nebraska, and there is a book coming out about Nebraska. And I think in a lot of ways, Western stars and Nebraska are cousins because they're albums of stories, right? And the, the book was written by Warren Zanes, who was who blurred for my book. I just wanted to throw that out. Oh, very nice. Yes. Congratulations. Yeah. Awesome. I am. I am working on getting him on the podcast. So he has said he wants to, and we're working schedules. So that's Jesse, great. Jesse, you're the host, but we want to know your three. So yeah, good point. I you're said right us, away. So, you know, you got yeah. <laughs> So I said Highway Patrolman and the River right away. Agree. I think those are the two best. Um, going into it, I think they're the top two seeds. And then I struggled at all with where do we go next? What do we do? And then, and so I, I debated about, okay, what am I going to do? And the, I decided that I wanted to go with something from Tunnel of Love and in all that heaven will allow the whole idea of because i always go <laughs> he's hey let me in i left my wallet and my other pants and i'm like okay are you gonna buy her a drink you have no money oh and you're gonna so now then you're you're in the band but then like she you can't buy her a beer you can't like you can't tip anything but yes i but he's tougher heaven, than the rest yeah oh, yes it is that that would be another good one so yeah, and so he's all got the, two faces, so he can play the part. There we go. Yeah. I all right. So two, there, were, there were there were two that were very close on my list. One of them was also from Tunnel Spare Parts, which is one of my favorites. Oh, good. And Jungle Land, which I'm glad Gabriel chose. Yeah. Uh, anyone uh, else want to share some honorable mentions before we start talking? I, I would like to say I think Tunnel of Love is one of the most underrated written songs. And that one was, I that was the F this is hard part for me because <laughs> just the lyrics themselves and the, 
the the way the symbolism works it, it was hard for me to not include that one so. yeah the, the, the line the case for almost any song on that album like that was a realization i had because i was like do i do valentine's day do i do two faces do i do or like all of the brilliant one disguise, step up, like two all steps back. Yeah, one step yeah. up is one of my faves. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, one and, up of tunnel. That was it. Tunnel of Love has one of my favorite individual lines. Gabriel's mentioning about how many there's so many good lines on some of the early albums, which is certainly true. But the line, the lights go out, and it's just the three of us, you, me, and all that stuff. We're all so scared of. Yeah. I love that line. That just, <laughs> you know, even if the rest of the song was terrible, it would be worth it for just that line. <laughs> And yeah, that's... and that does say a lot about any relationship, right? That it is there's a world to explore in there. Good. I, rem I remember when that came out. I was in college. I actually I reviewed the album for my college paper. I was the arts editor, so I assigned it to myself. But <laughs> and I really thought that was going to go down as one of his best albums, and I was surprised in retrospect that it, it is one of his not one of his best most well-regarded ones in comparison to others it's um, my second favorite album <laughs> it's a top, it's a top five for me it's Wait, my what's your favorite favorite, favorite my favorite is darkness on the edge of town darkness. okay <laughs> yeah. and i do think that i've said this a lot on the podcast and then someone always proves me wrong i said that you have to have either been in a relationship for a long time or had your heart broken a couple times to understand Tunnel of Love. And then I'll have a 19 year old guy tell me, yeah, Tunnel of Love is my favorite album. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so much for that theory, Jesse. That's <laughs> not true though. People can be mature and at any age. Yeah. I was 19 when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're about the same age, same here, same here. Yeah. I was just fell in love with it right away. But... Yeah. yeah. I was only a little bit older and I loved it right away. Yeah. Yeah, um, I will yeah. add if you're talking honorable mentions, please. Really thought hard about what I could get in off of Magic because I thought Magic is one of his best written albums for a work that works on two levels, both as an examination of personal relationships and as a protest against the Bush era years. Yeah. Uh, to pull that off in that album, I thought was uh, amazing, and to make it sound so fantastic, but. I I was unwilling to give up on Outlaw Pete. <laughs> I think. I, I'm sorry. I was gonna. I, another one that almost made it through was uh, "It's Hard to Be a Saint in the City," just because of the. That's one of his more most visual songs. I, a, a lot of his songs, I can picture the people in it. That's one where. I can hear and see and I can smell that song. <laughs> more than any of the others that that came this close but ultimately i had to go with the song that takes place in the bronx yeah i love it <laughs> all right so the three that hey pantheon listeners christian swain here you caught me just finishing up some editing on getting real with john and beth i want to share my first experience with factor meals for you i think you'll find this interesting because i bet the same thing happens to you I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, 
or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Had more than one vote. The River Highway Patrol, brilliant disguise. I'm, I promise you, Craig, because you've given me a little bit of the thing. We're going to start with you. Make your case for Outlaw Pete. All right. Here's what I like most about Outlaw Pete is that on a literary sense, it starts one place, takes you somewhere else, and spends where it starts. 
And what I like most about the song is every time he says the chorus, I'm outlaw Pete, can you hear me? It means something different. Every time he comes to that. And I'm just going to walk through it if you'll indulge me a little bit. Please do. The first lyric, I was born a little baby. He was born a little baby on the Appalachian Trail at six months old. He'd done three months in jail. That's funny, right? But that's also legend. It's not a real person. That whole first bit is the legend of Outlaw Pete. So when he says, I'm Outlaw Pete, can you hear me? It's a proclamation. Then we get into the next lyric, this verse. At 25, a Mustang pony he did steal, a little twisted wording, but, and uh, they rode around and around on heaven's wheel. Father Jesus, I'm an outlaw, a killer and a thief, and I slow down only to sow my grief. At that point, he's a real person, right? He is a real person doing real things, bad things, with just a tinge of regret, a little foreshadowing in there. So when he calls, I'm outlaw, Pete, can you hear me? At that point, it's a warning. And he's a very real person. You get into the next verse where he talks about cutting his trail of tears across the countryside, killing people, had a vision of his own death, left that life, married a Navajo girl, had a daughter. And again, a real person with regrets, conflicts. And when he says, I'm outlaw Pete, can you hear me? That is a lament or a confession. Very different than what we've heard before. The next verse is when the bounty hunter Dan hunts him down and forces him to face his crimes. We cannot undo these things we've done after Outlaw Pete kills him. And at that point, Outlaw, I'm Outlaw Pete. He says, you're Outlaw Pete. Can you hear me? That's an accusation. The next part, Pete runs away goes up on the icy mountaintop, watches the hawk, and then some say he moved to the edge and dug his spurs deep into the bony side. Some say his pony vanished over the edge. Some say they remained frozen on the icy ledge. At that point, he's a legend again, right? And the only humanity that remains there is his daughter, who's washing in the river and braids a piece of buckskin chaps into her hair. And when she says, Oh, Pete, can you hear me? That's a plea. So for him to take us on that journey that starts in legend, moves through rough humanity into regret, into accusations, into payment, and back into legend, and have that chorus, that really economical chorus, mean something different every time, I think that's a great piece of writing. Well that's said. Case. No, I like the case. Anyone want to make a comment? I think if I was an English teacher in high school, I'd be like, let's listen to this song and analyze it. <laughs> I agree. Anyone else? I just think I'm realizing that I've never listened to Outlaw Pete that closely. Like, I'm, yeah, the that's, first that's thing I'm doing when we get off this is going back and listening to it again, because it's I've, it's funny, because like thinking back to it, I'm like, yeah, I, th I think you're totally right. But it's just, I don't know. I've definitely fallen into the camp of very easily dismissing it. But yeah, I really want to hear it again now and see and look for that stuff because yeah, super compelling. Now and, I know now I know why Nils and Amy named their dog Outlaw Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I had told Craig that I did not care for the song till they published that child's. They had someone, this guy took the lyrics and drew 
did a child and children's book on it with the illustrations. And I loved the book. After reading the book, I think it visualized the story that Craig's sharing. And I loved the song a lot more. Yeah, really thought. Michael, Keith, any thoughts? Okay. I think that um, it definitely makes me want to pull out working for a dream again, working on a dream again, because I, like you, I dismissed the song in a way I, I enjoyed it, but I never revisited it after I heard it open the album and it's epic length and all that. And I thought oh, he's doing an epic length song again. He hasn't done that in a while. I didn't listen that cl- I, I got, it was a story song and all that, but it's definitely something I'm going to revisit now. I dismissed okay. it unfairly. All right. So show of hands. Does it make to the next level? I, I think maybe we should hear the other ones first. Okay. That's even better, Craig. Yes. Thank you. That's fair. All right. And I will so, make one more case for Outlaw Pete. As you mentioned, it's the only song, at least that I know of, that they actually printed out as a book. Very nice. That's another point. All right, Keith, talk to me about Lost in the Flood. The one one of the things that that I really like about the song is that it it feels like it's his first really more mature song. A lot of the other songs on Addisbury Park are fluffier, for lack of a better word. They're more fun songs. They're more a lot jauntier. This one's nasty in a way that he really didn't start doing on a regular basis until you get into darkness especially that this song wouldn't have been out of place on darkness on the edge of town or nebraska and just the it's much more epic in scope for all that it's all pretty for lack of a better word street level it's about guys getting shot and whatnot but there's a certain almost epic poem-like quality to it of the story it's telling that I really think that kind of presaged what he would be doing a lot more of later on. And and, and there's just so much great descriptions. His ankles caked in mud. Everybody's wrecked on Main Street from drinking on Holy Blood. And, and that wonderful, the way it ends with the kid getting shot, screaming something in Spanish, and everybody's like, I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> Whatever. They just said, he was still bleeding when I walked away. It's like, it just, it's visceral it, in a way that, that a lot of his early songs weren't necessarily. And I just, I, it's, and especially the version that he did in Live from New York. That's to me the definitive version of the song, even more than the original. There's just there's a level of intensity that, especially Roy Bitten's piano brings to it, that I really think is just phenomenal. So, that's my argument. Thoughts, everyone? Anyone? It's funny you bring up the and I hadn't thought about it, but Lost in Flood is such a brilliant song, and it also brings to mind that type of ending. To it reminds me of Wreck on the Highway and mm. how, what a brilliantly dark ending to uh, such a uh, an album that had both dark shades of dark but so much joy in it at the same time. And by the time 
Stephen King even quoted Rock on the Highway in, in one of his books, and you can see why the way it ends is just bleak. And that made me think of that. But yeah, yeah, good choice. Yeah, Wreck on the Highway. I'm now that I mentioned that could have made our list very easily. Yeah. Craig, you were gonna say something? Oh, I was just thinking what I don't really don't like about this is I love all these songs and now we're put into a position of having to criticize them in some way. And I don't want to do that, but I'm going to. <laughs> and it's I love this song. I love this song and I totally agree with you that the live in New York version is the definitive one it's the one that makes the hair on your arms stand on end and i think as a piece of writing i think it lacks a little cohesiveness i'm not really sure who we're talking about in the first verse in the second one we got a race driver in the second it really is more thematic than story driven but again that comes down to the parameters i love the imagery i think as a song it's unbelievable that performance is unbelievable as a piece of writing I personally find it a little vague to, for moving on to the next round. That's, I hate myself already for saying it. No, I, no, I, this is a safe parameter. I think. It feels I, like I, a safe space, but it's not. I feel yeah, bad. I know. <laughs> Growing up isn't on the list, but right. We were watching Springsteen on Broadway for the first time with my wife and son and she, I don't understand what this song is about. This makes no sense to me. I don't, what does this mean? And my son is, this is one of the greatest songs ever. I love this. And he got it immediately. And Linda was like, I need a little more literal. And I think. But you think that might be like boy versus girl. Maybe. Interpretation? Yeah. And you know, you what, want... you know what you do? Seriously? Yeah. Have her listen to the versions on live 1975 to 85 specifically listen to growing up with the intro to it first and then listen to the river with that intro to it first yeah that's because it's, yeah. It's the two different examinations of him and his dad yep. and yeah. that's the different that's what the two songs are about and about where he is in his life in each one yeah absolutely gosh now i keep thinking all the songs that i should have picked um, <laughs> independence day is is as good a short story as there is about a father and mm -hmm. son not connecting each other. Yeah. And uh, home, my hometown, that's about oh, beautiful, yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. All right. You may just talk for an hour and a half and go, nope, can't decide <laughs> it. Move on. <laughs> any, many songs? Probably, yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah. There's uh, many well-written songs. You know. Yeah. That's any, a solution in and of itself. If we get to the end and we say we just can't pick one, they're all too good. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I think that's fine. Any other thoughts about I? I love the imagery of loss in the flood. I don't. I think of it as an emotional journey, not necessarily a story journey. That would be one of the reasons I don't pick it. Though, I agree with you guys too. It is there. Nuns run bald through Vatican halls. That's just, you know. Um, it's a song I agree with you it's a song that I crank up in the car the live version and I get so into it emotionally with like anger and defeat and but yeah um I agree with you on that it's like emotionally charging good all right any other thoughts lost in the flood 
All right, so I'm going to make my pitch and I'm going to play the cancer card and all that heaven will allow so you guys can boo me if paying unfair. Um, I've always loved the song and I did. I always think this the idea that she's so beautiful and hey, I do always think that, hey, let me in. I've got a date I can't ma- miss. But when Lynette Carolla was doing her Springsteen theme podcast, she had someone on, and I do not remember his name, but he talked about when he was facing cancer, he s- clung to the lyrics. Now, some men may want to die young man, young and glorious me. Get it straight now, mister. Hey, buddy, that ain't me. Because I got something on my mind, yeah, that sets me straight and walking proud. And I want all the time, all that heaven will allow. So in 2017, when I had colon cancer, this was one of the songs that was on my F cancer playlist. The idea of no, I want all the time, all that heaven will allow. So it's on my best written story because I'm changing this to not about romance, but about the idea of life. I'm chasing life and I want this extra. I don't think it should go into the next stage at all, but that's my reasons on why it's a, it's one of its best written songs because as in so many things that Bruce writes, it as a listener, I took it different than probably what he meant. I remember there was a young man that was struggling with physical and tougher than the rest was his favorite song because that's how he thinks of he is tougher than the rest and putting it past his MS. So that's my pitch. I don't even think it's that much of a stretch for the rest of the song. The line, the line to the, boun- the, the bouncer line that, that we're recording before. All, hey there, Mr. Bouncer, all I want to do is dance. Yes, he left his wallet home, and yes, that means he can't buy her a drink, but all he wants to do is dance. He just wants to have fun. He yeah. wants to enjoy himself. He doesn't want to do anything crazy. He just wants to dance. And, yeah. and I think that goes with that same theme, too. Yeah, absolutely. Good. All right. How about Reason to Believe, Michael? Oh, Reason to Believe. Okay. Nebraska, as we were talking about earlier, it's such a bleak album. And in some weird way, as he even says in the song toward the end, for some reason, we all find some reason to believe. I think it's just the bit of hope that shines through that the darkness of that album is it's, it's a great finishing song. Now you can, these well-written songs and all that can work their way into the whole of an album and change the meaning of them or enhance the meaning of them when you listen to them in the context of the entire album, which this does in a way, it becomes a little bit more powerful when it's at the end of such a bleak album. But if you take it on its own, I think it stands on its own as well, especially in the context of today's world where we're just divided politically, ideologically, racially, geographically, however you want to put it, theologically. But uh, I believe this, finding some reason to believe with all the horrible 
or the unfortunate circumstances that each of the verses puts the subjects in, by the end of it, you don't know, it's, it's dubious, it's ambiguous. And I love the way it, it ends on this, is this person cynical? Is he too cynical to say they should not believe? Or is this hope in itself saying that uh, we should find a reason to believe? We should have a reason to believe because what else do we have? But our faith or hope or I love that ambiguity in it. I'm the type of person who really loved the end of The Sopranos because I love the fact that there was a question mark. What happened? It's not for us to figure out. The screen went black. It's their lives now. We're no longer a part of it. I love the ambiguity in this song as well. So that's why it's my choice. Yeah. I've, I've done over a thousand episodes asking, does Mary get in the car? And I'm still asking the question because that's the whole point. We don't know. Yeah. Reason to believe is, I don't know why I think of it as a hopeful song, but for some reason I do. I feel like it is a exclamation point on a album that despite everything, we find a reason to believe. And I think it could be cynical that we're believing in the wrong thing, but I like to think of it as a hopeful that we still have faith in each other and everything's thoughts on that guys, anyone. I agree with everything Michael said. I think it's, uh, I don't think that album comes across the same way without that song on it. And what I love most about the way he's written it is he doesn't provide the reason to believe. He just gives you the situations so bleak, so painful, all of them just so individually painful, but he reminds us we're all still here. So I think it's a brilliant piece of writing. I also agree with what Michael said, except for the part about the Sopranos. That was crap. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's a perfect, it's the perfect, it is really is the perfect coda to, to Nebraska. And it isn't, yeah, of course he doesn't say how to find the reason to believe because that's your problem. He says as much in the song. But that's what keeps you going also. And there's, because there's so much bleakness on that album and so many songs that are all about escaping justice or getting arrested or fighting with your family or all sorts of other horrible things that you want to just slit your wrist or at least hit yourself over the head with a croquet mallet but at least you still you keep going and it a last bit of desperate optimism at the end of a very pessimistic album yeah I feel like Bruce is, he's specific about where he places all the songs on his album, but he's on his albums, but he's especially specific about the starting song and the ending song. I feel like if you look at the final song or just about any of his albums, that tends to be the statement it's making in microcosm or the question it's asking or the challenge it's making to the audience. And that's a hundred percent true of reason to believe because Nebraska probably is his bleakest album. And to end it on this song that can be read either optimistically or pessimistically, depending on where you stand, it's like what he's doing is he's laying out all these very dark stories. And then with that final song, he's 
saying make up your own mind and that's the power of it and that tends to be the power of so many of his coders is that they tend to like darkness on the edge of town is another great example they tend to pose questions more than they provide answers and i think that's the power of it and that's why his songs and, and his albums in particular endure because if he was just making a blanket statement and being like this is my opinion this is how i want you to think about this this is the thought i want to leave you with then it wouldn't they wouldn't stick with us as much they wouldn't eat at us as much they wouldn't provide so much opportunity to unpack and discuss and analyze and that song's a prime example of exactly that phenomenon that he's so good at hearing you say this and maybe this is like the woo-woo in me but i feel like that's a libra trait because he's a libra (laughs) and then saint vincent is a libra and she quoted one time in an interview saying that once the songs are published they're no longer my songs they're your songs and you interpret them the way you want to interpret them and her music is very similar that it's a lot of of questioning and there is a little bit of ambiguity even though she's setting the scene but I just wonder is that like a Libra thing because because Sting is another like famous really good songwriter he's a Libra and I feel like he does a lot of that in his lyrics too yeah I just yeah hearing you say that I I think that's probably the reason why I love Bruce Springsteen so much is because he does leave it open-ended to where he's not gonna judge you for interpreting it the way you want to yeah that's all right. One of my favorite New Yorker cartoons was Shakespeare sitting in a Shakespeare class, raising his hand, saying, "That's not what I meant." Yeah. But, uh, but once once it's out there, it is. That's exactly true, and it's true of all art. It's it is open to interpretation. I've had people ask, find symbolism in my own work that I didn't mean at all. But if that's what they found, that's great. That's that's the joy of of writing, of art, of music, of sculpture, of poetry, all of it. But in school, but in school, we're not taught that way. Like I got a bad grade in Shakespeare because I interpreted it my own way. And that wasn't quote the correct answer. Yeah. I did have one professor at UT who is also an English professor. She loved Bruce Springsteen. And so I, of course, got an A in that class because <laughs> She understood why I was always the questioner. I was always the person in the class that questioned everything, not to be a jerk. I was going to use a different word, but I think this is a family podcast. But (laughs) it's more because who's to say what is right and who's to say what is wrong? Who's to say what is real? Who's to say what is not real? One of my favorite stories, and I say this all the time in the podcast, is I was reading years ago, Isaac Asimov's autobiography, and he tells the story. He's at a lecture and he is talking about a short story and someone in the audience raises their hand and said, that's not what the story is about. And Isaac being Isaac said, I wrote the story. Of course, I know what it's about. And they go, why do you think just because you wrote it, you know what it's about? But he also has a famous quote where he says, the eyes are the windows but you got to scrub them off every once in a while so you don't have blind spots or so you don't misinterpret and he says in his autobiography that was a revelation to him and he realized from then on that 
just because that's what he meant it was the other story we talk a lot about and this was in the tv show treme john hyatt is singing it feels like rain and steve earl who's playing a character is talking to a young violinist and i can't remember the actress who played her but she says gosh i can't believe that song is so powerful about katrina and steve earl says this was written 10 years before katrina and he says that's the beauty of a song it can mean anything speak to you so yeah i think that's and when bruce was in storytellers right he said was I thinking of this? Maybe. Was I consciously deciding this? Maybe. Was I feeling it? A hundred percent. And I think that's beautiful. All right. There was a great line Arlo Guthrie had talking about his father that that he said, on the one hand, it's it's great that Woody Guthrie's songs are still relevant a hundred years after he was born. On the other hand, it's too bad the world still sucks. (laughs) Yes, that's absolutely... (laughs) All right, so Gabriel, I have said that I am not a Jungle Land fan. I recognize its greatness. It just does not speak <laughs> to me personally. It is my most unpopular Springsteen opinion. And every time I throw that on Twitter, I get people going, shock value, you're just saying that. And it's just, it doesn't speak to me. Uh, though I recognize that I am in the very small minuscule wrong minority so to no one else you have to defend jungle land as being an epic story but just for the record share why you pick jungle land look in the case of jungle lands i think it's really fitting that we're talking about it now after discussing the idea of reason to believe is a coda and the idea of codas for Springsteen's albums, because I don't think there is a better coda for the themes and the concerns of one of his albums than Jungle Land. Now, Born to Run is my favorite Springsteen album. It always has been like other others shift around in terms of where they sit in my ranking. Like Darkness is usually number two, if not like sharing number one with Born to Run. You know, Tuttle of Love is up there. Absolutely. Wrecking Ball is like the left of center favorite of mine as well. But with Jungle Land, I feel like you're looking at this album where Born to Run is famous to, to casual fans or non-fans as being like the album about escape, about, you know, Born to Run, Tramps Like Us, Baby, we were Born to Run. But if you listen back to the album, it's a lot more ambivalent than that. It's not just these songs celebrating the idea of escaping the drudgery of your day-to-day life you've also got songs like backstreets you've also got songs like meeting across the river you've also got songs that are about people who have tried to change their lives or escape something and it has not gone well for them or it is not going to go well for them you've also got songs in there like night which i think is maybe one of the most clear-eyed and realistic songs on the album which is just about yeah you work all day so that you can get out to the night and celebrate and do that but at the end of that you know you're going to go back to the work you're going to go back to all of the drudgeries and all of the difficulties and all of the challenges of day-to-day life and escape in that song is only temporary and I think that's something that the album understands uniquely well is that and in some ways I almost wish that the promise was included on that album because it's such a perfect kind of continuation or answer to Thunder Road, where Thunder Road's all about these big romantic sweeping ideas of let's get away. We've got one last chance to make it real, trading these wings for some wheels and all of that. And Thunder Road is my all-time favorite Springsteen song. But what I love about The Promise as the kind of answer to it is the fact that it says, yeah, but that kind of like 
on an adrenaline high thrill rush of escape that doesn't last and the reason I think Jungle Land is so exceptional is that Jungle Land gathers together all the different extremes of Born to Run and includes them all in one song that might as well be all the concerns of the album in microcosm. You start with the magic rat and the barefoot girl escaping, going off, taking a last stab at romance, all of that. And then you have the middle section where it's a bit more complicated, it's a bit more difficult. There's sort of allusions to organized crime and allusions to the police chasing them and all of this stuff. And then obviously you've got the sax solo, which probably doesn't fall into the writing side of it, but it's so good that we have to mention it anyway. And then of course the ending in the tunnels uptown, the rat's own dream guns him down. What a like miserable downbeat, tragic coda to this song that starts out so hopefully. But the thing is, the end of Jungle Land is so epic and sweeping as well that it's not actually saying to us, you know, the idea of escape is inherently a flawed one or an empty one. It's saying there is power to it, there is value to it, but there's also a realistic side to it as well. It's like the ending of The Graduate. It's jumping on the bus and it's riding away and it's smiling and being like, yes, we're escaping, we're getting off into our what the hell do we do now? It's so effective because that exhilaration doesn't last. And to me, all of that is in Jungle Land, and all of that is in Jungle Land populated by some really beautiful and really evocative imagery. I already mentioned the tunnels uptown, the rats on dream guns him down, but even barefoot girl sitting on the hood of a Dodge drinking warm beer in the soft summer rain. It's so simple, but you see it so clearly. And the thing is, Jungle Land has that quality. It was mentioned before, like in terms of Lost in the Flood, of like the slight vagueness of some of Springsteen's earlier songs. And with Jungle Land, I will confess that I don't 100% know what it's about. Is it somebody who gets involved in organized crime and gets shot up in a West Side Story type gang warfare thing? That's how I'm reading it. But that's never really mattered to me because I think the way it's written and the emotions of it are so vivid and so evocative that you just get caught up in it. And even if you don't fully understand the specifics of every detail of minutia that's going on in the same way you do in something like Highway Patrolman or The River, it doesn't matter because you feel it and it feels authentic and it feels real and it really brings together everything that album is talking about in a way that I think is very clear-eyed and brutally realistic, but also making room for the magic and the power and the romance of this whole central idea of escaping your life that underpins the whole album. So to me, it's a mini masterpiece because it just captures everything that went before it and summarizes it so beautifully. And again, leaves you with a question of, is escape always doomed to fail? Is it always doomed to fall apart? And it lets you make up your own mind. I think it is an incredible song and an incredible piece of writing that every time I listen to it, I am as staggered by as the first time I heard it. So I know for sure that I'm going to make a playlist of every song we've mentioned and listen to them in new ways. That is brilliant case. Thoughts, anyone? I, it's funny. One of the reasons why I didn't pick Jungle Land is because I was focusing on the lyrics. And to my mind, a lot of the appeal of Jungle Land is the music. I know everyone talks about the sax solo and the sax solo is great. As far as I'm concerned, Jungle Land is Roy Bitten's song. The piano is what makes that song for me. And I freely admit that I do worship Roy Bitten as a god. I, that is that, with that caveat. But you would, I, I would, you would say racing in the street if you really. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. I love that's 
and she's the one also. I'm just sticking with Born to Run. I'm being the um, jerk again, questioning everything in the class. No, no, no. Honestly, what, there was one time I saw him in 2010, maybe? Roy Bitten was just on fire that night, and they did a version of She's the One that just blew me away with the piano in it. But uh, but in, with Jungle End, you're right. It really is, it sums up the album. Everything that happens in Jungle Land is something that happened in one of the songs in previously on Born to Run. And it, what Michael was talking before about with Reason to Believe also does really mm -hmm. apply here. It is, it sums up the album. It's the greatest hits of Born to Run in one <laughs> song. Um, the reverse overture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, absolutely. And quote the who, it's the undertone. And <laughs> I just finished Daisy and the Six, and it wraps up this fake documentary with telling where everyone is. And so now I want to listen to this album with that thought that Thunder Road is the coda that's wrapping up where everyone happened in that universe. I I think that'll make me appreciate the song jungle more land, yeah yeah huh you said thunder road you meant jungle land yeah jungle land yes yes <laughs> absolutely thunder road is the overture yes <laughs> yes it is yes really not anything else there yeah listen i'm in that position again where i feel like i'm criticizing a song that i love so much you know and i love everything you said gabriel i love all of it i love all of it when i sit back and look at it as a piece of writing and there's someone in TV, you get one crack at it. People, in the, especially when I started, you didn't get to re-rack things. So for me, it was always clarity. And I remember being in a year four university English lit class, studying James Joyce Ulysses and criticizing one of the chapters because it wasn't clear to me. And everyone looking at me like I had three heads, because probably because I showed up in a Detroit Tiger cap every day of the, every day of the week. But for me, is it an amazing song? Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I, and I love getting caught up in everything you said, the emotion. But it, to put it forward to the next round as a piece of writing, the lack of clarity for me keeps it from moving ahead. But I love it so much. And everything you've said is absolutely correct. And I think that's one of those songs that the words, the images he throws in front of you, and even the way he puts the words together, sweep you and take you someplace that everybody in the world has trouble resisting except for Jesse. <laughs> I'm the weirdo, I know. For what it's worth, Craig, I'm right there with you on James Joyce. Yeah. I just I, I, I love think... Ulysses. There's one chapter is just impenetrable. I oh, think... I found the whole novel impenetrable, but all right. <laughs> I think this song reminds me of the outsiders. Oh. Like I always yeah. the imagery of the outsiders and their feelings about their place in the world. That's what always comes to mind when I hear Jungle Land. Yeah, that's a really good. Okay, Jacqueline, mm -hmm. you picked some obscure song, Born to Run. What's the deal with that? <laughs> Why? Okay. Oh, so, man, talk about a deep cut. Okay, so yeah, I said if I was going to be selfish, it would be for you. And the reason for that is because it's about a woman who's suicidal like her whole life and he tries everything to help her and he can't get through to her. And I just love the imagery, even though throughout each verse, it, it doesn't really make sense, but the imagery is all 
of yeah like him trying to get through he's trying to get through so selfishly I would have picked that one but I picked Born to Run because other than the obvious that he's the underdog and I'm always I always root for the underdog in life but I really love the parts where one of my favorite quotes of all time is when he says let me in. I want to be your friend. I want to guard your dreams and visions. And for me, that's, that is like one of the, the most, that's one of the nicest things anyone could ever do for somebody. It's not, Hey, I'm gonna sweep you off your feet, even though he does talk about that a little bit in the song, but that line right there tells you like I'm in this for the realness of it. I'm not here just for a one night. I'm literally wanting to guard your dreams, your visions by being your friend. And to me, friendship is the most important thing in the world. And also I really like the part where <laughs> he tells her to strap her hands across his engines and there's some playful flirty naughtiness to it but at the same time it's I just think it like describes him so well because (laughs) he's a charmer and he knows how to charm people to agree with him and then she agrees they decide to be losers together in the world and they go off and he's like falling madly in love with her and hopefully the feelings mutual and when he says I want to die with you Wendy on the streets tonight an everlasting kiss it's like right there that's like a girl's that's the typical girl's dream (laughs) for hearing a man say something like that other than my favorite line which is the I want to be your friend but I, I just like the lyrics in it throughout the song obviously the song's overall message of we're underdogs we're gonna who cares about everybody else we're just gonna get out of here and make our way and find our life and be happy but I also it's so it's cinematic in its own way and I just love that I just love the symbolism and the imagery that he draws with the lyrics whether it's naughtiness or cheekiness or true romanticism. But that's why I picked it. I was trying to be unbiased and that's why I picked it. One of the things that I am not a big Dr. Phil fan whatsoever, but every once in a while, he uses a phrase that I use like monsters live in the dark, but a partner should your, be your safe place to fall, right? And, you know, Linda and I have been married for almost 40 years and we try to be each other's safe place to fall. And that phrase you're mentioning doesn't, I don't focus on that as often, but now that you do, I do think that is a beautiful pledge to tell someone, I want to guard your dreams and visions. I want to be there for you. Nicely said. I don't know if you guys have heard this song, but thoughts? It's been a while. 
what I like, Jacqueline, is the two things you put, the two ideas you put together there. He goes directly from this idealized spiritual connection straight to sex. So he's putting the two, he's putting the two things together. It's not one or the other, it's both. So I think that's a pretty fantastic piece of writing right there. Yeah, it's it, one of the things I always loved about it is, is that, that there's a lot of lust there, too. Yes, there's the friendship, there's the love, there's, and a cat just jumped in my lap. There's, say out of Kaylee. Um, the, there's the lust, there's the, but there's the lust is there, too. In, and it's incredibly intense. The, one, one of the great things about the whole album, Born to Run, is the intensity of all the songs. And, uh, and there's the, I remember it took me a year when I was a kid finally realizing what wrap your legs around these velvet ribs and strap your hands across my engines actually meant, which was very enlightening. <laughs> I'm just I'm just surprised Craig is not criticizing this one. <laughs> uh, listen, I I know I'm the one who came in with Outlaw Pete, but I don't think there's anything to criticize about Born to Run. It's so romantic. You, and it's sexual, and, you, and it's, it's okay sexual. to be both. <laughs> and yeah, it's and friendship, the friendship. That's and it, if you haven't fallen in love, and you hear this song, boy, does it ever make you want to fall in love? Yeah, it's it's and the imagery beyond the palace, Hemi power drones scream down the boulevard. Girls comb their hair in rearview mirrors, and boys try to look so hard. Oh my god! So that's every good. teenager ever. It, it I is, was just going to say the thing that is so that great. captures that teenage yeah. angst, and so yeah, it makes me think of the movie Grease. <laughs> yeah, it oh, it does, it does. Yeah, all that. That's okay, funny. thinking that I was thinking American Graffiti. Yes, um, but in that or same, Happy Days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, I think Born to Run. It's usually people usually put it with youth and trying to get away, get out of town. It's kind of like a Thunder Road type of situation. It's the literal flip side of Thunder Road. But at the same time, I think it's also timeless in the fact that we're always we're always looking for the, our perfect romantic partner. And uh, thank God I found mine. And we're still looking to get out. We're still looking to, whenever you it may just be for a week. It may just be for a weekend, but you're still looking to get somewhere beyond where you are now. But even if you're comfortable, you're still looking to, for the next uh, for the next place to go. I think it's timeless in that. And a lot of times, a song that's so ubiquitous as as "Born to Run" in our on our on the airwaves and everything, it can be overlooked and. But I think it's a brilliant piece of writing, and I think it's great choice. Yeah, I agree. I love chasing wild horses, Gabriel. Talk to me. The guys on Bruce Springsteen sings the alphabet just disgusted, and they both gave it five stars. Why make your case for chasing wild horses? Have you heard it? Like, yeah, I know. Like I'm right there. Yeah. No. I'm joking. It's look, honestly, there's a personal side to this. There's definitely a, a very subjective side to it, which is that when I was writing my book, The Hunted, 
one of my key characters, Frank, is basically this middle-aged guy for whom things have just fallen apart pretty catastrophically. Like he had a kid when he was too young. His background is basically the river. And uh, him and his like wife got divorced. He fell into heavy drinking, into drug use, into all kinds of things. And now he's working in the middle of nowhere in a roadhouse, basically just sequestering himself away from the world and trying to do better and trying to pull himself together. But he doesn't really have an incentive to do that. Now, there are a lot of people who I grew up around growing up in the country who informed the character of Frank. But as I was writing him, I I guess I struggled to find an emotional in for what he was going through and to his particular state of isolation and his particular state of wanting to be redeemed for his past choices, but not knowing how to go about that and basically being burdened with a huge amount of regret, but not actually having any really actionable way to deal with it because his ex has passed away and his family's estranged, don't really want anything to do with him and all of that. And honestly, it was listening to Chasing Wild Horses that helped me crack it and helped me find the emotional core. And I really think that song is as beautiful a portrait of isolation and regret as I've ever heard in my life and I think it is one of it's such a simple story if you could even call it a story it's really a snapshot but in terms of like just really beautiful to listen to or even just to read Springsteen lyrics fingernail moon in a twilight sky riding the high grass of the switchback I shout your name into the canyon the echo throws it back that is stunning to listen to like it's and again it harkens back to some of the jungle land elements where it's simple little moments of vivid description that create a far richer and far more complete image and i just i find that song of all the songs on western stars which is an album populated by stories of people who are washed up alone isolated not sure where they stand later in life i think this one is the most powerful and the most evocative and just the most like melancholy because again and I feel like this is a thing that we keep coming back to, it doesn't really leave you with an answer. It doesn't leave you with a sense that this guy is going to find redemption for whatever it was he did. And we don't really know at the start. He says, I guess it was something I shouldn't have done. guess I regret it now. And we know that because of whatever it was he's done, he's lost someone and he's not really making any concerted efforts to try to get them back because he probably feels like he can't deserve it. So all he does is chase wild horses and try to deal with his temper that way and try to chase away the demons of his past that way. And it leaves you in a place of, He's, he's probably not going to actually ever resolve this. This is just him doing whatever he can to try to deal with it in the interim. But I, I just found that so, so haunting and so moving and so heart-wrenching. And it's such a simple, small, unassuming song, but just the lyrics of the thing just tear at me every single time. I, I adore that song so much. I'm sitting here thinking, is... Chasing Wild Horses, the same guy singing that is the guy who sang Tucson Train and she didn't come I wonder. up. She didn't show up. Times, yeah. And then he gave up. He rebuilt yeah. everything. He was ready. Just give me a weekend. Give me a weekend. I'm sure a man can change. And then what if he or she doesn't come up? And he mm. and our protagonist just, okay, I'm going to give up. Um, the other thing you was listening to that, I'm thinking of a uh, stolen car, right? The idea of yeah. the imagery of I, I'm somewhere where I shouldn't be and I'm worrying I'm going to catch. Oh, that was beautiful. Yeah. Thoughts, anyone? I think all the things Gabriel said about that song, you could say about so many of the songs on Western Stars, which 
I adore. I, lo- I love that song. And I think as Gabriel says, it's, it's not really a story, but it sure is a character study, right? You listen to that and you feel like you know that guy, right? Yeah. And it's just yeah. those little details. It's those little vivid details of yeah. describing what he's doing in his work and everything that just make it feel so lived in. And the little snatches of pathos and pain that sort of populate what is ultimately just a description of a guy doing his job. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Like it's such a powerful piece of music. And like one of the things that I think the river and the highway patrolman both have going for it is you could give them someone the lyrics and read it and they know the story. But some of these other songs we've picked musically, it has to be there. Bruce's voice in chasing wild horses has such a tired, I don't know if I can keep going any further, this almost melancholy or, or like lostness to it that helps sell the story. All right. And then so Michael picked another obscure one, Thunder Road. Go for us, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thunder Road, as we talked about earlier, it, it does seem to be the overture of of the Born to Run album. And I love the way it just kicks it off as, I love the way it ends. I love the way it ends. And the ending is the beginning to the album to me is where Mary climb in where it's a town full of losers, but we're pulling out of here to win. And then the journey begins through the, uh, through the rest of the album and whether Mary gets in the car or not, let's go from the fact that she does on this one and the sax plays them out. But I think that throughout the entire song, the imagery is, um, the whole thing is about anticipation and you're just anticipating the way the album opens, the harmonica brings it and the screen door slams as Mary's dress waves right there. You got the imagery right off the top and from from there you go. And the whole song is about anticipating whether that last line will come true, whether Mary will climb in. He is making his case throughout this entire song and he's making his case for the entire album, for them to run, for them to go get out of this town, find an adventure that will probably end up with him being gunned down in jungle land. But in either way, it's a promising start. And I love the, I just love the anticipation that the song mounts throughout the tension and and then the release of the saxophone at the end. It sounds like a victory that they're actually, they're pulling out of there to win, but the sax is bringing it in. We've already won just by getting out of the town. Now let's see what we can do for the rest of our lives. That's my case for Thunder Road. I'm going to jump just ahead a little bit. I'm looking, if you... If you were like Lawrence Block, among others, do this great collection of short stories, talk about a hell of an anthology that if you had The River, Highway Patrol, and Brave Disguise, Outlaw Pete, Lost in the Flood, Reason to Believe, Jungle Land, Born to Run, Chasing Wild Horses, Thunder Road, When You're Alone, <laughs> as your collection of short stories, <laughs> be a hell of a shit collection, wouldn't it? <laughs> A few years ago, there was an April Fool's article where someone wrote 
that in an alternate world, Bruce became a writer and uh, they used all his albums were collections of short stories or novels that he had written. And I would love to visit that parallel world where he's, I'm reading the books he wrote. Yeah. Thunder Road is, it, it's this epic tale. And it's just this, and I love the beauty of, I, I ask everyone at the end of the podcast, does Mary get in the car? And I get different answers every time. And if they say yes, there's reasons why. And then when they say no, they have different reasons why no. That's um, interesting. I figured most people would say yes. So 60-40. It's 60-40. About 60% yes. And 40% today, someone said, you know, no, because this is just a metaphor. The song is really just a metaphor about choices and being I afraid. Was, and I, I think oddball. I was the oddball that said I'd not knowing whether she got in or not. I like the interview. There is a few percentage of people that do say that. Yeah, that's great. That was the oddball that Teddy never even asked. Because <laughs> the, the first image, it looks like he's watching it from a distance and it sounds like something he's rehearsing in his head to say. Yeah. Like at no point in the story cool. did he ever actually walk up. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Any comments about Thunder Road? I mean, you look, it's a great case. It's my all-time favorite song. Not even my all-time favorite Springsteen song. It's my all-time favorite song. So I'm never, ever going to criticize it. Everything you just said there is so spot on. And, I, and of all the songs I was going through this morning, trying to narrow it down to three, Thunder Road kept popping up again and again. Because how do you get past lines? It's a town full of losers. We're pulling out of here to win. You're scared and you're thinking that maybe we ain't that young anymore. It's just, it is to me one of the greatest songs ever written it. If that ends up joining the other two going through to our final rounds, then I will heartily support it, 100%. And I think, you know, most people think of this as a song because of the prom dress, that this could be youngsters, but this could very easily be someone my age in their 60s that are going to someone that's saying, I feel like we're not that young anymore, but have a little faith. There is mm. a whole lot of life left together that if we go together, we can find this. I find you know? it interesting that you equate it with the prom dress because I equate it with like just a summer dress, just a random day in yeah. summer. And she just, a summer dress is more likely to blow in the wind than, yeah. A, yeah. So I found it interesting that you said that. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it's got a theme that it, he returns to a lot, which is the optimism and hope of youth giving way to the responsibilities and realities of adulthood and how you would deal with that. Um, and in yeah. this case, they're trying to get the hell away from it. But... This song is perfect in every way. I... Yeah. We can go out in the alley and fight anybody who says anything bad about it. But I think it's, I think it's just, Perfect. I would Gabriel. If you guys want, to, if we want to punt this to the next round, I would not object to that at all. You know, I we it was I was listening to sports talk show probably fifteen years ago, and one of the sports casters said, "Born to Run's the greatest song ever written," and the other sports caster says, "I think Thunder Road might have something to say about that." <laughs> <laughs> and you no. Know, uh, I, I know exactly it, which program you're talking about. Yeah, and I, they, uh, the same sports station 
interviewed Joe Montana and they said, <laughs> it's not often you talk to someone that's in the discussion, the greatest quarterback of all time. And if you, if he's not, he's in the discussion, right? No one's going to argue. I don't know if he was that good. They're going to go. Yeah, that's great. All right, Gabriel, when you're alone. Oh man, look, I just, I feel like in some ways when you're alone is just me choosing something that's representative of Tunnel of Love in general, because I think that album contains so much of his best writing and it's not even my favorite song on the album. My favorite song is probably, it's probably Valentine's Day, realistically. But I also think that Valentine's Day in retrospect reads as a bit of a quasi hopeful ending for an album that is very much contending with the fact that he married the wrong person for him. And when you're alone, it's funny because it's a song that a few years ago I played at when I lived in a share house and one of my housemates came in and, and openly mocked it. He was just, oh yeah, really like really wise statement there, Bruce Springsteen, when you're alone. And it's funny because I got what he was saying to a point. It sounds simplistic, but I also think that the simplicity of it is the point when there's something just so melancholy and so truthful in that song lines like things that will knock you down you don't even see coming and send you crawling like a baby back home that was something that didn't that i didn't understand the truth of until i was quite a bit older than when i heard it for the first time when i heard it for the first time i was like oh yeah call another sad song on there and then when i was a bit older and after i'd been through some disappointments and some heartbreaks and everything and i heard that line and i just thought jesus it's true there are things that happen in our lives that will floor us and reduce us to children again and he's speaking to that so beautifully but then on top of that that line near the end of the song which just haunts me because if anybody's ever been in a relationship where you know the love has dissipated for no reason that any of you can actually put your finger on and it's the cruelest thing that can happen which is when you know you feel like you're doing everything right you've come into this kind of head over heels in love and with the most romantic ideals then at some point that's just gone and nobody knows honey where love goes but when it's it's gone and the sheer brutality of that but the tenderness in there as well like the truth of it is is brutal and tough and really difficult to contend with but there is a tenderness to that song and to the way it frames it and an honesty that has made it this song that i have returned to again and again and to me a song that i think best encapsulates everything tunnel of love is talking about Likewise, the entire last quarter of that album, I could have made a case for pretty much any of those songs, like Brilliant Disguise, Two Faces, any of them. But to me, and I can't, I know that I've been subjective here, and I don't think I can be anything but subjective when it comes to Bruce Springsteen, but because so many of these songs mean so much to me personally, but that song is the one that I come back to, and that song is the one that I think just speaks to the brutal but very humanistic spirits of that particular album. Well said. That is, I don't know where it goes, but it's gone. That is just so brutally honest. And when any of us have gone through a, a serious breakup, it, that is, it's almost too harsh, but yeah. he does say it with the tenderness and, and it's really easy. You'll see we just drifted apart, but that that kind of sugarcoats the pain of losing that person that 
at one point you thought you're going to spend the rest of your life with any thoughts yeah, on that? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. that thing. There's a cruelty to it where I think about, not to get too personal, but since we're talking Springsteen, it's inevitable. Like I've had relationships in the past where, as I alluded to, you are so in love right at the start. And then at some point, and you don't know what it is, at some point, something changes, something shifts. And it, despite your best efforts and your best intentions, it's gone and you can't get it back no matter how hard you try. And the tragedy of that and the cruelty of that and the unfairness of that, I think is so encapsulated in, in that song. And that's why I think the, the, the simplicity of it is what's deceptively so brilliant about it because it's not claiming to have these profound insights. It's not claiming to have the answers. It's not claiming to say to you, this is why love goes when you're alone. It means this and this it doesn't mean anything other than when you're alone that's what it boils down to you can come up with whatever ideals you want about the rest of it but in the end when you are alone and i just think that song is so simple but poignant because there's just a really tough inherent truth to it right? i also feel like it's yeah what you said but i'll whenever i hear it yeah, that, that part is really harsh to hear. But I, it also makes me think about the circle of life and how when it's your time to go, like, you're alone. Like, I, yeah. yeah. And so I feel like it, in those lyrics, he's not only reflecting on an ending of a relationship, but he's reflecting on his feelings about how life is is going to be for him in the future too so it's almost hey you're getting through this and the yeah you feel this way but it may maybe to let him know you're a strong person you're gonna face this again at some point but it's yeah the harshness of when you're alone and that they're it makes me reflect on on yeah when it's our time to go we're alone and we don't know what happens after we go but in that moment when you're going you're alone so it's almost is it preparing you for that time in your life or is it is it not is it at all equated these feelings are they at all equated with each other for later stages of life I just some things I think about when I hear that song and it the whole album makes me really emotional <laughs> so like hearing you talk about it has really made it hard for me to think about all the things I think about when I hear all the songs but that one and that that part that line of being alone is I don't think it's simplistic at all personally, but I can see why some people would because not everybody is a deep thinker. Like obviously we are because we're writers. Yeah. It's funny. I, if you had asked me for a list, for a list of my favorite songs on tunnel of love, when you're alone would have been last before now. I never liked this song, but I have also, I haven't listened to it in forever. So it along with outlaw Pete is going on. my must listen to this after we're done recording. 
but it's interesting thinking about what you guys both said because especially in light of what what was happening in his life at the time he recorded the album not just the crumbling of his first marriage but also the falling apart of the east street band that was the that was the great interregnum when, after born in the usa when the east street band was not falling apart and didn't really come back together until the late 90s and uh, and it's interesting that look thinking about the lyrics of the song that right now i really do want to listen to it again because i haven't given that song a first thought much less a second one in a very long time so now i want like i said and that yeah because even uh, in this in the song in the beginning he's alone in a car like he's alone yeah. on a highway he's by himself and so that's why I of course equate it with ending of a relationship but I equate it with all kinds of life instances that you go through and yeah you bringing up the ending of a partnership or maybe a career for someone it's scary when you lose your job and you don't know what's gonna happen you're alone you just feel those feelings of being alone. And it's, that's why I don't equate it only with the relationship. I equate it with lots of life stages. And the other thing that I love is you think on back on me and you and your love would be strong. You forget all about the bad and think, oh, the last that we've had and you want to come home. How often have all of us tried to sugarcoat and not think about oh the reality is this really was a bad situation but maybe maybe if we try it again whether it's a partner whether it's a job or whether it's a a romantic partner maybe it's a business partner and where you go no i really think I would argue that tongue in cheek, every fall, we football fans <laughs> forget all the pain they gave us. And we're like, okay, this is the year. This is the year the Dallas Cowboys are not going to break my heart. <laughs> and so, yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention is we are going through, as I go through all of John Hyatt's songs, we're just up to the seas. A lot of his songs are about adult relationships and the pain and the joy of those. Michael? And so this is, this sounds like an, a, a very mature relationship. Like he's saying, look, yeah, maybe we could come back and we try to start again. But the reality is we're not, we're ignoring the bad things. And when you're alone. And you can be alone in a crowded room of strangers. So, yeah, yeah really, I, this yeah, is giving I, me a lot to think about. Yeah, I think the parallels there with Tunnel of Love and Bring the Family are very uh, close because they were both released in 87 and they're both probably playing to the same crowd, the same demographic or a person was buying both albums, I would assume that most people who bought Bring the Family were either wanting to buy or did buy Tunnel of Love during that same year or same summer. 
and they both deal with very grown up issues. And one bring the family all about hope and a new start, whereas Tunnel of Love is full of doubt and brilliant disguise. God have mercy on a man who doubts what he's sure of. And that could be pretty much the mantra for the entire album, I think. Um, and we've all been there. We've all been in a relationship that we weren't sure of. I'm sure. I know that I was. We all had a... I was in my tunnel of love phase one time. I had my first wife. But now, thankfully, I found my Patty. We're... But her name's Elizabeth instead. But... She's my patty and we've been happy and, and that first one sometimes it just doesn't work out. That's why it's the first one. And there wasn't a long time after that. There was a doubt of, uh, there was a time of doubt and, and uncertainty, but I think it's a very, it's definitely an outlier. This uh, it's when you're alone song. And I'm, uh, I, like was said, I was not, uh, it's not something I considered. I, I think of all the songs on that album before I get to that one, but now I'm going to have to go and re reinvestigate that along with that law beat. Yeah, I'm with Keith and Michael. I, I love that album. I think we all do here. Not, not at the top of my list, but I think, Gabriel, your description of it as a gentle description of something really brutal gave me a different lens to look at it. I'm looking forward to listening to it again. Ron Marks was on the podcast and he couldn't make it tonight, but we're, we were talking during the pandemic and we were mentioning the Springsteen from my home to yours. And we were talking about how brilliant it was. And Ron's the one who said, okay, we know he's a great storyteller. Why are we surprised that he is able to communicate picking songs and talking as a DJ and tell us a story. We should not be surprised at this time, anytime he wants to tell a story in any format he wants, he's going to be able to. And I almost think this is a fool's, especially for an hour and a half into this. I almost think it's, we're chasing wild horses to pardon the pun to try to get it down to even two or three, because Every one you've mentioned, I've thought of another one that we could bring up. Used cars. <laughs> Just that that is a short story of a family struggling, taking the money to go buy a new used car. For the longest time, my parents never bought a new car. They, they It was always the new car was a new used car. I'm almost wondering... Are we like Mary? We leave this unanswered, but let's, let's, okay. So we've heard all the songs. Let's start with Keith. What are your thoughts? Where's our next steps? God, I don't know. <laughs> I thought of five other songs while we were talking about this. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, one that occurred to me that I actually considered mentioning just to, to mess with everybody was Light of Day, which he never even recorded a studio version of. He wrote that for a movie which by the way is impossible to find i was trying to track the movie down and but it, it's a great and there's a wonderful version of it on on the not entirely unplugged concert he did in 91 and i ugh. it's really hard when you've got a writer as good as this to narrow it down to one or even three 
as we all discovered with all the sleepless nights we had leading up to this recording. <laughs> we all agreed on a couple of songs as a group by naming them a few times. Yeah. So. Okay, this is a good place to stop. And uh, we're going to come back next tomorrow with the rest of our discussion. Um, in the meantime, please go to iTunes, rate and review the podcast. If you have feedback, send it to me at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. You can find the show at setlustingbruce. Don't forget our Patreon page where for as little as a dollar a month, you can support the podcast. All right. We finish our discussion up and behind the scenes, we recorded this all at one time. But this seemed like a good place to set in a break. So here we go. Come back tomorrow for the second half of this great discussion. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, So if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom is dead. My mom is right there.
from Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, the Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.